Jeff Keighley announced today that both Summer Game Fest and the Game Awards will be live streaming in IMAX theaters going forward. And if he's smart, he won't charge people a dime. Good morning. Good Friday morning to you. I'm Shane Satterfield from Sifted, and this is Good Morning Gaming for May 6th, 2022. It's Friday. If you prefer to consume the show the way it's intended, in a podcast feed so you can listen on your phone as you get ready for work or on your commute, head to patreon.com sifted and pledge at $4 or more per month. It's free on our YouTube channel for everyone else, but you're going to have to watch a couple ads. You can find a four days delayed feed of our flagship show Game Face by searching your favorite podcast service. Please give the show a review if you can. So future editions of Jeff Keighley's Summer Game Fest and the Game Awards will be simulcast live in IMAX theaters. As part of the announcement, Keighley revealed that the main Summer Game Fest show will air on June 9th at 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern in participating IMAX live theaters across the U.S., Canada, and United Kingdom, several days before Xbox's big press event. No word on how long each broadcast will be, and the air date for this year's Game Awards was not shared. Keeley's father helped found IMAX, so he's keeping this deal in the family, but there's been no official word on if IMAX will charge to watch the shows live. A quick search around the internet, and most entertainment publications like Screen Rant are assuming that IMAX will charge for tickets. This would be a huge mistake. Before we get into the message it sends to players, let's just talk about revenue and the practicality of it all. Any theater should be happy to have people inside its walls almost any time right now coming off a pandemic. A lot of people are still reluctant to gather in large numbers as it is, but safely filling up your theater with enthusiastic use in the middle of the day on a Thursday seems like a pipe dream right now. And it is if you're asking for an entrance fee. Having any kind of business on this day or time should be viewed as a bonus for theaters. If IMAX and Keeley are smart, they'll give away all the tickets in some kind of fun way. Once the people are in the theater, you can make all your money with your crazily priced snacks and drinks. They're essentially trapped there for three hours after all. And unlike with films, people will be buying concessions during the show, not just before. Now, let's discuss the message that you're sending and the likelihood of people attending if the tickets cost money. If you look at the metrics Keeley himself uses each year to tout the success of these two shows, it's always the number of people watching the streams. He himself is telling people that the ideal way to watch it is at home on your computer screen or TV using a Twitch or YouTube app. Or at least he's messaging that if you want to help his shows be successful, you need to watch the live streams. His demographic is smart and tech savvy. They know as well as anyone that these sorts of shows are essentially three-hour marketing and advertising programs. They're willing to look past that if there's a payoff, a pot of gold at the end of the commercial-strewn rainbow. Asking them to pay for the right to watch commercials is going to go over like a lead balloon. Now, some kids will be out of school and looking for something to do, but when they can watch the same show completely free from the comfort of their home, and they know that's the metric that really matters, which one do you think they're going to choose? If they charge, IMAX attendance will be extremely low, and so if they do charge for tickets, they can't charge more than 10 bucks, right? Right? So let's say 30 kids show up at each theater for a grand total of $300 plus some concessions. Is it smarter to have a packed house of 150 with everyone buying concessions? 
I think it is. Now, I get that movie trailers are usually shown before each film on a normal night at an IMAX theater, which are essentially commercials for movies, but this is literally two hours plus of it, and we're not just talking video game trailers either. Recently, Keeley's productions have increasingly budgeted time to literal advertising, meaning TV commercials that companies pay lots of money for. Who is going to pay to watch ads? Somebody eventually may, but it's not our audience. It's kind of like Pactor's pitch for FIFA Ultimate Team. He contends that it should be free to play to get as many people into the ecosystem as possible to spend money on microtransactions. Victory by millions of small cuts. The same thing applies to events like the Game Awards and Summer Game Fest. And now for a couple more stories from the top of your SIFs. This year's entrants into the Video Game Hall of Fame have been announced. The Legend of Zelda, Ocarina of Time, Ms. Pac-Man, Dance Dance Revolution, and Civilization are this year's new additions. If there's one to complain about, it has to be Ms. Pac-Man. It was essentially a Pac-Man expansion pack with new mazes, a hair ribbon, and lipstick. We can live with the other picks, though. We addressed the absurd selection process of the Video Game Hall of Fame in a prior episode of Good Morning Gaming. Today we got the first look at Neil Bloomkamp's Off the Grid. This new sci-fi battle royale features cyborg operators equipped with futuristic blades. The trailer looks so good we thought it was CG, but there's a tag at the bottom of the screen explaining the game footage is running on Unreal Engine 5. That means this one's PS5 and Xbox Series only when it launches in 2023. The studio describes it as a cyberpunk battle royale 2.0 multiplayer shooter, that's a mouthful, where you shape the story and the gameplay. Unfolding on a dystopian tropical island, it sends you on head-spinning assassination and sabotage missions to the greater glory and market share of your chosen faction. Sounds interesting, at least. According to Activision's annual report to investors, over 3,000 people are working on various Call of Duty games right now at Activision Blizzard. That's almost a third of Activision Blizzard's entire workforce. The publisher currently employs approximately 10,000 people. Of those, 6,800 are actually employed as game developers. So half its development staff is working on a single franchise? Is it worth it? Even if the games sell 20 million each year? It's hard to say because it's hard to place a true value on reliable revenue and nothing is more reliable than Call of Duty. Kotaku is reporting that a new Mafia game is in development at Hangar 13. However, this news also comes with the announcement from 2K that the studio's leader, Hayden Blackman, is leaving after seven years at the company. The publisher claims Blackman is going to pursue his passion at a new endeavor. Kotaku claims that the next Mafia game is early in development, codenamed Nero, and is expected to be a prequel to the Mafia trilogy. The plan is to make it an Unreal Engine 5 instead of the Mafia 3 engine that was recently used for the remasters. This likely means that the game will be PS5 and Xbox series only. Matthew Urban, Hangar 13 CEO, has announced that he's also leaving the studio. So it appears that the top of the house has left just as a big project is getting underway. Hangar 13 has suffered layoffs and has been employed as a support staff for Tiny Tina's Wonderland. So this news comes as a bit of a surprise. Path of Exile is now almost nine years old, but it's still receiving major and regular updates. It hit its highest player count in a decade just in February, so people are continuing to discover this free-to-play action RPG anew. 
The new crew of people are going to be happy because its newest expansion called Sentinel launches in a week. Sentinel lets you team up with ancient constructs that power up enemies resulting in better loot drops. It launches on May 13th for PC and Mac and May 18th on console. If you're tired of waiting for Diablo 4 and don't want to pay for Warhammer 40k Demon Hunters, it's free and doesn't feel as old as it is. Many had looked to the monochromatic and crazy dramatic Trek to Yomi as the next samurai fix after Ghost of Tsushima. It's a 2D side-scrolling game, but boy, does it sure look pretty. Well, according to critics, its beauty is only skin deep. Reviews for the game were published today, and while it's unanimously praised for its art direction and backgrounds, the gameplay is just as roundly reviled. Its Metacritic average currently sits at a 72, but if you actually read the reviews, very few have anything positive to say about the actual substance of the game. It sells for 20 bucks on PlayStation and Xbox, and you can get 10% off that on Steam right now, but we do not recommend it. Let's take a break, and when we come back, we'll tackle today's boss fight. Welcome to today's boss fight, where I discuss topics that may or may not be related to video games. So this weekend, and in fact right now, the second half of the final season of Ozark is launching on Netflix. I love this series. One of the episodes of Spoiled that we did was for the last season of Ozark, and I have waited with bated breath for this final, I think it's seven episodes, to finish off the series. This is the series finale, not just the season finale. So I'm very excited. I don't have a lot of free time, and I am pretty much prepared to find little pockets of time this weekend to essentially binge the final handful of episodes of one of my favorite Netflix series ever. Recently, Netflix, its stock has been in free fall, and really it's because of things that Michael Pachter have been saying for like seven years, but they finally come to fruition. But Netflix seems to be pointing fingers in a lot of different directions. And one thing that has kind of come up in the last week or so is binge watching and whether binge watching is killing Netflix. Well, oddly enough, it may be killing us. A new study conducted in Australia has shown that every extra hour we spend binge watching TV increases our chances of dying from an inflammatory related death. So it's unhealthy for us in myriad ways, but what about the streaming companies? Releasing every episode of a show season at once was disruptive at first. I know I loved it then, and honestly, I still do now. As someone running a business, I get pockets of time to watch TV or play games, and it's nice to be able to consume just about anything on my schedule. Overall, I still think it's the best thing for consumers. Choice is always the best policy. But... If Netflix ultimately decides that it has to choose between releasing episodes once per week or adding advertising or increasing the monthly price yet again, I'm willing to go back to the weekly model for episode releases. Or if Netflix claims, as it currently is, that it may have to crack down on sharing passwords, again, I'll take more staggered episode releases. There are several arguments to be made. First is that shows that release all their episodes at once come and go in the blink of an eye. 
There are many shows that I love on Netflix that I mention to other people, and they've never even heard of them before. Bloodline is one of them. And the reason they've never heard of them is because shows are released on the service, people talk about them, or don't, due to spoilers, for a few days on social media, and then they're gone. Even something as amazing as the first half of the final season of Ozark was just a three-day bump online, and then it disappeared. This lack of community around shows is really something Netflix is missing out on. Its content never gets as much water cooler talk as it should. There's very little reason for post-show shows like The Talking Dead, because you can just blast right onto the next episode before pondering what happened in the prior one. You also never know which episode everyone else is watching, so you're perpetually afraid to say something online or in person that could ruin something. So in a vacuum, the all-at-once model works for people who aren't concerned about discussing and analyzing each episode before moving on to the next. Then there's the angle where the more time the show gets to remain in the public zeitgeist, the more chances there are of the show's gaining new fans. And when you know what episode everyone else just experienced, you're more apt to share your take on each episode online and engage in discussion. How many shows that Netflix has canceled could have been saved if they had more than a couple days to create an audience and get them to engage? It doesn't seem healthy from an artistic perspective at all. There's something to be said for the communal aspect of simultaneously consuming art. The water cooler discussions at work or on text threads with friends, it builds anticipation for each new episode, helps you understand each episode more before moving on to the next so you have much better context, and allows you to express your feelings about the shows more openly without fear of ruining something for everyone else. Think back to great shows like Lost or Game of Thrones and half the excitement was watching them by yourself or with your significant other, and then returning to the community to see if you've missed something, if you misinterpreted something, or if you spotted something that no one else did. Sometimes the wait for new episodes for both those shows was almost unbearable. I honestly believe that Game of Thrones wouldn't have been half as successful as it was if it dumped an entire season of episodes all at once. It's hard to argue against that idea. Another thing that I've noticed is that if I binge watch TV shows, I end up forgetting much more of the shows in the end. When you have a full week between each episode to digest and analyze things, it tends to stick much better, at least for me anyway. A lot of times when I finish binging a show, I can't remember a lot of the details that happens when it's all over. I just know that it was good, bad, or great, and I'll remember some of the major things that happened throughout the season. But a lot of the details are completely lost. Yet at the same time, Going from one episode to the next immediately can make it easier to remember what happened going into the next episode, which helps you understand it better in the moment. The final thing I should say is that being able to watch anticipated shows in a day or two has absolutely contributed to me considering to cancel my Netflix subscription at times. If I see that one of my favorites isn't coming up for a couple months, I can easily cancel and then sign back up. There's no reward for being loyal to the service. I wait months and months at a time to return to Disney Plus because its shows are literally months and months apart, and I wait for all the episodes to be available before resubscribing and getting my fix for a month or two. In short, if Netflix has to decide between doing all sorts of anti-consumer things or just stretching out its air schedule for some of its shows, I'm more than happy with the latter and returning to the old way of doing things. 
Thanks for listening to Good Morning Gaming. I appreciate every single one of you who listens to GMG. I'm Shane Satterfield. Follow me on Twitter at Dinfire and follow Sifted at Sifted Games. While you're at it, head to patreon.com slash sifted and drop us a pledge. The show will be back on Monday, but until then, seize this weekend because there will never be another. <laughs>